Thank you, Dave. Praise the Lord. Well, praise God. It's so good to sing some of these Christmas carols and just rejoice in our great God and His coming and the great advantages that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question, again, I want to start off with, if you had to name uh, one of the advantages of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the great graces that God gives you, one of the great blessings to have it begin in yours, uh, to live this Christian life, to function again as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what blessing would you say that you're most thankful for that happens to begin in your life? And we realize <clears throat> the uh, number of blessings that happen to begin out there are really without number. We might name again the whole idea of the doctrine of justification, that no matter where I am, how I'm living, you know, what's in my life, what's outside of my life, I stand complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a great doctrine that speaks, again, of the finality, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may talk about our sanctification, that God, that I'm not a finished product, but God is changing me, molding me more and more to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We might say that one of the gifts of His grace that we really appreciate is how we can use such unpromising material, such as you and I, in order that he might ultimately be glorified. But there's no end that have to be in the many graces, the many blessings that God gives us in this life for carrying that life out. But let me tell you, the number one blessing, you know, in fact, all of the other blessings are contingent on, on this in this life. And that happens to be giving the giving of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that indwells again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in each one of us. You know, and it's amazing because as we come into our services, as we come into our Sunday school, as we come into our Wednesday night, we're learning the Word of God, aren't we? You know, and I think, again, when you look at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have a great handle on theology and a theological knowledge. You know, many of you can articulate what the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone is, and you can uh, articulate it very accurately. Many of you can tell, again, um, uh, all the advantages or all the glories that are going to be yours in your resurrection body. And you have a great knowledge of the atmosphere of that. You can describe somewhat of the mystery of God in human flesh, how Jesus had that dual nature, fully God and fully man at the same time. But I think the, the dearth that happens to begin among those who happen to be Bible-believing churches is in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let me just say, over the last hundred years, there's probably no doctrine, no doctrine that has been more written about, talked about, than the, than the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, and we realize that because of the rise of Pentecostalism early in the 20th century, people have become fascinated, absorbed with this whole doctrine. But among those who had come from many times evangelical and conservative churches, many times there's a dearth of knowledge. I don't know if it's the people of God think that many times they're going to get swept up in the excesses of the charismatic movement or what it happens to be, but there's really a dearth of knowledge that happens to be over there. We better let, uh, leave this over here so we will not go off into doctrinal error. And yet it's amazing that Jesus Christ gives all of these truths and encourages his, his uh, disciples, these apostles, because he's going away. He wants them to be strengthened, to be encouraged in the inner man with the task that he has given at hand. You know, and we all know this. We all know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're all strengthened anytime we happen to be around fellow believers. And so you can imagine the, the disciples, when they hear that God is giving, Jesus Christ is giving this monumental task, but he's going away. They're going to be, again, bereft of his presence. 
But what he does in this passage of scripture is he talks about another comforter coming. Otherwise, they'll never be by themselves. There's never going to be a location. There's never going to be a circumstance. There's never going to be a a situation. There's never going to be a geographical location where they are not with the presence of God, of Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, he even says in this passage of Scripture, it would be of no advantage, it would be of no advantage if I stayed. But it's of a great advantage if I go away from you. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, you know, even when he talks about the greater work that we will do, greater work than the Lord Jesus Christ, when he talks about, again, even offering up prayers according to the, the will of Jesus Christ and that he will answer them, this is all done because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. But let me ask you again uh, uh, this afternoon this simple question. Do you know enough about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God in your life to encourage yourself this afternoon? Do you you know enough about his ministry that happens to be in in your life, who he truly happens to be through all the trials, through all the difficulties, through all the suffering, through all of the anxieties that you are going through this season to really be encouraged to follow God? You know, again, like I say, there's such a dearth among those who claim to be Bible-believing Christians in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So how can you be encouraged by his presence if you truly know so little again about him? You know, and I really want you to be encouraged this afternoon. I really want you to be fortified as we live this Christian life out, recognizing the third person of the Holy Spirit and who he happens to be. And what I want us to do this afternoon to really undergird that encouragement in your life is I want you, I want you to know three things about the Spirit of God that I hope that will help you, that will fortify you and encourage your heart where you, wherever you happen to be or whatever you happen to be going through in your life. And the first thing, again, I want us to see again about the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit is truly a person. In fact, let's read verse number 16 of our passage of Scripture. It says again in verse number 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, when you look at what I would call monotheistic, the main monotheistic religions that happen to begin of the world, it's three of them, isn't it? When we look at the major ones, and they happen to be Judaism, they happen to be Islam, and they happen to be Christianity. And it is, again, something of, uh, of an amazement that all three of them find this idea of a monotheistic God, that there's only one God in the teaching of the Old Testament. They would, always, they would all say, this is our God, this is our God, this is our God. But the doctrine that really separates Christianity from those other two happens to be the Trinity of God, that God is one being, one being, but three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, and let me just say that those other two major world religions hate the doctrine of the Trinity, You know, they look at Jesus many times and say, Jesus came, he was a prophet, he was a great man, but that's all he was. He was just a man, probably the highest of men, but that's all he was, was a man. And when they look at the Spirit of God, they see the Spirit of God is just a manifestation of God, just a force, just the power of God, but he is not a person. You know, and yet when you come to this, and if you're really going to find comfort of the person who is with you, you have to understand his personhood. 
And this is where we see in verse in, in this verse that happened to be right here, verse number 16, he is called another comforter. In other words, they had received so much comfort, so much encouragement from Jesus. But Jesus says, I am going to send you another one, one like me, that will encourage your hearts, you know, and always be with you. And it's an amazing truth. You know, and so when you look at the personhood of the Holy Spirit of God, it's absolutely necessary if we're going to gain encouragement, you know, with his presence in our life. And let me tell you, it's taught throughout the New Testament. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, again, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot grieve things that are just a power. You know, I might look at the power outlet that happens to be over there, and I might go over and kick it. And guess what? It's not going to be grieved is it? And why? It does not have personhood. I can go and kick Jeff Mitchell, and he might grieve if I can't kick him hard enough. You know, and why? Because he is a person. And we realize through our disobedience, this is what the person of the Holy Spirit does. He grieves. He realizes the glory of the Father that happens to be above. He realizes the worth of, worth of the Son. And therefore, he grieves again over the sin that happened to be of his people. Only a, only a person can do that. You know, we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 11, it says, And all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit. And he speaks of the Spirit this way. He portions, in other words, he gives to each individual as he wills. Only, again, a person can apportion. Only a person has a will. So I can look out. I can see various different needs that happen to be again out there. And I can choose out of my will to apportion, to give what is necessary that always happen to be around. That's a function of personhood. And also 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, devote the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Oh, I, I'm, am I reading the right verse? Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. Now, the Spirit expressly says, you know, and that's that, 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 what it says. He speaks, he talks, he communicates, and that's what the Spirit does. And let me tell you, once you establish that the Holy Spirit is God, you don't have to establish his deity. And because his deity is taken for fact, once you establish that he's a person. And the reason why is because the most common, um, uh, uh, the, the most common descriptive words for the Spirit is this, the Holy Spirit of, oh, one person knew it, the Holy Spirit of God. You know, that's who he is. And so once you establish that he's distinct from Father, distinct from, from Son, at the same time, in unity with them, you, you have to say this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is God. So we have the Holy Spirit again of God. And so like the Son, the Spirit, and like the Son where he is a person, the one that Jesus Christ uh, ascends has, has his personhood. And let me tell you, that makes all the difference in the world. You know, and how we think of this Christian life and how we live out this Christian life. Because so often, believers in Lord Jesus Christ look at um, the Holy Spirit of God as basically an energy force, you, you know, a power, almost like a battery. You know, if you have a battery um, on your phone, when your phone again runs down, what do you do? You recharge it. You know, when we come out on Sunday, why? Because we want our spiritual batteries recharged by the Holy Spirit. You know, you've got to have more of the Holy Spirit. Got to have more of the Holy Spirit. Got to have more of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, then if he's a person, you have all of the Holy Spirit. You don't have part of him. 
Certainly we can be controlled by other things that happen to be in our life. We can be controlled by other people that happen to be in our life, just like we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But you have the totality of his personhood. To think that he's somehow an energy force that we have to tap in or somehow draw from or whatever it happens to be is a pagan idea. This is Simon's whole idea, again, of the Spirit of God in the book of Acts. When he comes to Peter and he says, uh, I want to buy, I want to buy this Spirit. I want to buy this energy force that happens to be, again, right here. But the Holy Spirit is a person that helps us in the ministry that he's given us. In Acts chapter 13 and verse number 2, it says, When while they were worshiping the Lord, uh, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, here's the communication, here's the direction, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. And this is an amazing thing because he's a person, he has a particular work, and that particular work all revolves around Jesus Christ and the manifestation, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. And let me tell you, he couldn't do that. He couldn't will that if he was just an energy force. So the thing that we have to understand is the Holy Spirit is a person. But the second thing I want us to see about the Holy Spirit that I think should be a great encouragement to each one of us is the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, isn't he? You know, he's our divine comforter, our divine helper, our divine counselor. And you see that again in verse number 16, because it says again in this verse, it says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So when it says another, he's like Jesus Christ in that he has a personhood, but he's like Jesus Christ in this, in that he has the same ministry as the Lord Jesus. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus, what was it? To, what was it? it was to glorify the Father by pointing and directing hearts to trust in him as Lord and Savior. So when the Spirit comes, when the divine paraclete comes in each one of our life, it's the same ministry to direct our hearts and help us direct other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same ministry. You know, and often we ask ourselves, because often we feel so uh, impotent in the work that God has given us. How are we to carry this out? And the reason why, why we can carry this out, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is because of what he says. He will give you, speaking of the Father, he comes from the Father, comes from the Son. He will give you another helper to be with you. Now, let me just say this word helper is an interesting word. In Greek, and all those, again, who know another language know this, that many times one word cannot really carry the full orb meaning of the native language in which it was spoken of. And so it is, again, with this word. In fact, if you were to look at various different translations of this verse, you would probably come up with various different words that are used there. You know, some, like um, uh, what we have right here in the ESV, have helper. Some other ones have comforter. Some others have counselor. And the reason why all these different words are being used is they're trying to take all the meaning of this Greek word so it's understood. But neither, none of those words in and of themselves carry the full word meaning. So when we look at helper, many times when we think of helper, we think, you know, I'm striving to do something, I'm striving to do something, but I just can't quite do it, and somebody comes out over and helps, right? If we're trying to nail something in and we don't have enough hands, we'll ask somebody to hold something so we can pound, or whatever it happens to be. They're helping us out so we can do it. The helper, again, right here is basically this. We can't do it. 
We cannot do what Jesus Christ has called us to do. And that will become so apparent in chapter number 15. If we're not connected to the vine, to Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you can do, here it is, nothing. And here we're forevermore connected to the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he is our divine helper. And he's also our divine comforter. And a lot of times, again, when we think of comforter, we think again we're grieving. We think again we're in, in, in a distressing situation. Somebody comes over to us and comforts us in our plight, in our sorrow that happened to be right there. And there's something of a meaning that happened to be there. But when you talked about a comforter in the ancient world, you not only talked about that comfort that they would bring you, but that they would lift you out of that state. They had the ability to change you again in the midst of that state. And that's what the Holy Spirit has. And not only that, he's our counselor, isn't he? And when we think again of the counselor, we think it again of taking the truths of the word of God and making them active, making them real, making them pertinent that happens to be in each one of our lives. So the Greek word that's used here is the Greek word parakaleo, and I don't expect you to, um, to remember that, but it's stem, it's, it's, it's a compound word, right? It's para, which means alongside, and kaleo, which means to be called. In fact, when you look at the stem, kaleo, it's actually used of the church. When you look at the word church, it's ecclesia. We are called out people for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when it describes the ministry, again, of the Spirit of God, he comes alongside, aiding us in, here it is, in the ministry that God has given us that we might glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think how practical that is. Think of how practical that is, because Jesus has said three things, again, that believers are to be active in in this chapter, and none of them are possible without this Spirit's work in each one of our lives, the divine paraclete. If I do not have the paraclete, I can't do this, and think of what he says. He says something absolutely shocking. He says, in this life, think about it, you're going to do greater works than I had ever accomplished here. And we realize what that is, right? It's the preaching. It's the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going into all the world and making known Jesus Christ. And we realize that. And it's amazing, right? Because on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, we all know the story again of Peter, right? He, he flees away initially from the Lord Jesus. And then he comes in the courtyard. And he denies knowing the Lord once, twice, and even curses the third time to convince everyone that he does not know this Lord. But on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and boldly says, you're guilty of executing the Christ, and in him is the only hope of forgiveness of sins. You need to repent. And 3,000 come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, how was Peter able to do that? And here it is, because of the divine paraclete. You know, think about it. We are called in this chapter of Scripture, and he tries to encourage him. He says, whatever you ask in my name, according to my will, I will do it. Well, how do we know what's according to God's will? Have you ever thought about that? There's so much sin that happens to be in us. I don't think we realize it. We're so clouded. We might even ask things that in, in which God might be glorified. But all, the reason why we're asking for it is this selfish motivation and a lot of times we don't even know how to ask, how to pray. 
And think of the ministry of the divine paraclete because he comes alongside of us. He's going to make, make it all about the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to what Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says. Likewise, the Spirit, Spirit uh, helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, listen to what it says, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the Spirit, for the saints according to the will of God. He, who, who knows the will of God better than the Spirit of God? He's the third person in the triunity of God. He knows the will of God because he's God. Isn't it incredible? He intercedes again for us. He intercedes with us in these prayers and makes our prayers effective before this great God that happened to be in heaven. And remember what Jesus says in this chapter? You know, because when we look at this, he tells us we're going to do these greater works. He tells us to pray, but he also tells us this, something absolutely shocking. And it happens to be in verse number 15. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's a statement of fact, right? Even as we went through it, that's not a command. He's stating a fact, if you truly love me. But here's the question. Do we love God? Do we truly love him? And here's a, here's a better question. Can we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all that happens to be in us? And here's the answer to it. Absolutely not. You know, but there is one who has come. There is one who happens to be God. There is one who brings all grace and all the ability, again, with him, that we might glorify God, that we might actually love him and follow him. And who is he? He's the paraclete, that we might, might, might follow God, obey him, make much of him. So look at verse number 16 again. It says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know, he's with us whatever we go through. And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, aren't you encouraged by his ministry in your life? Aren't you encouraged that he is involved in our Christian lives, that we might make much of the Lord Jesus Christ? So we see, again, first of all, again, when we talk about the Spirit, again, of God, that he is a person. We see that he's the divine paraclete. But the third thing that I want us to realize about the Spirit of God is that he's spirit. And think of how significant it is that he is spirit. Because since Jesus is, or since the Holy Spirit is spirit, he can indwell us. Look at verse number 17 again, that happened to begin right here. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What a great truth, isn't it? It's so rich. You know, we many times talk about the uh, dichotomy, again, of humanity. The humanity is made up, again, two different parts, right? There's my corporal self, there's my physical self, which you see, again, as far as the outside, and then there's our inside, our Im- immaterial self, you know, our non-corporal aspect that happened to begin there. And when we talk about that, we talk about our thinking, we talk about our feelings, we talk about our hopes, we talk about our desires. And nobody can know your hopes, your desires, your feelings, what is going on in the inside of you unless you share it. And why? Because it's inside of you. It's spirit, right? It's invisible. Well, think about it. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the spirit. He's able to come inside of us and dwell with us, be at home again in our very hearts and our very inner person. 
In fact, again, listen to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse number 16. And these, some of these truths just should cause us to marvel, just should cause us to worship this great Christ, this great God. It says that according to the riches, here's Paul praying, that according to, his, to the riches of his glory, the riches of Jesus Christ, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In, the, in your inner being, so that, here's the outcome, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, through the Holy Spirit of God, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And imagine being rooted and grounded in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he is real, where he is authentic, where your trust is in him. You know, what is that? That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God that happens to be in each one of our lives. And I love what he's called here. He's called the Spirit of Truth, isn't he? Because when you look at what uh, Jesus said to the uh, woman that happened to be again at the well, he said, again, those who worship God must worship him. Here it is, in spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and in truth, the spirit of truth. And it's absolutely amazing. He comes and he changes us from the inside, but he not only changes from the inside, but he leads us into truth. He's not the spirit of falsehood that will cause us to be some, somehow some sincere about God, but be led in a false direction. He is the spirit of truth that will lead us in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so he's the spirit of truth. And this verse says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And I love that, don't you? Because it speaks again of a contrast, doesn't it, in between the world. And when it speaks of the world, it's just basically talking about, again, a non-believer, somebody who doesn't believe in Christ, someone who doesn't follow Christ, someone who has no affinity, again, of this great salvation that we have. Here's this person, and he neither sees Christ, he neither knows, again, the, the work of the Holy Spirit of God. But here, we're told over here, the true believer knows the Spirit. You know, can see the work of the Spirit. Now, let me tell you, a lot of people read this verse, and a lot of times they'll say, well, I've never seen the Spirit. You know, I've never seen, again, him manifested before me. And if that happens to include you um, uh, this afternoon, I'm really happy because I've never seen the Spirit myself. Spirit, by definition, is Spirit, isn't it? Non-corporal, non-visible. But people are looking for some sort of visible ref. Um, representation that happened to be there. But the, re the way that we see the Spirit, the reason why we know the Spirit is because of this, is because we treasure the Lord Jesus Christ. Treasuring and knowing Jesus Christ is not something that is natural. It's supernatural. It's Spirit manifested. In fact, Jesus says over in chapter number 16 and verse number 14, he says, He will glorify me, uh, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and here it is, declare it to you. So how do we see the Holy Spirit's presence in our life? It's because we're making, we're cherishing, we're loving, we're desiring Jesus Christ, and even him to be manifested to to begin in us. And I think a lot of times we forget so often our spiritual impotency. In other words, again, our inability to follow God, to really believe on Jesus Christ without his ministry that happens to be in our life. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians brings out this dichotomy again so clearly. It says, and even if 
our gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In the case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever um, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. You know, so here is the God of this world. Here is stone-cold hearts. Here are people who want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, again, is even the God of this world who's blinded their hearts and blinded their minds even more. And then Paul says he does an absolute futile act. Listen to what he does. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Now, let me tell you, what a futile act, isn't it? The God of this world has blinded the minds. People don't want Christ. They have stoned hard hearts. I mean, what an absolute futile act it would be. If God didn't act. Because listen to what it says next. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. In other words, the miracle again of creation has done this. Has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are perishing can't see that work. You know, they can't recognize that work. But we, again, who are on this side, you know, we realize the blinders have been taken off. But when we realize the blinders have been taken off, that's the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit comes and gives us new life. We realize that no one can see the kingdom or enter the kingdom of God without the work, again, of being born again. Well, the one who does this, the one who causes this work to be effective in our life is the Spirit of God. And I even love this. Because so often, even in our struggles that happen to be in our life, we might think it is hard to truly see the work of the Spirit that happens to begin in our life. You know, but think, think how even this manifests His work in our salvation. Because in Romans chapter 8, and verse number 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had the Spirit of God witnessing with your spirit that you happen to be a child of God? Because I think most of, most of the time when we listen to that verse, this is what, what, what do we think. You know, we want to curl up in a little ball and say, I have never heard that still small voice that, uh, from the Spirit that says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. And like I say, if you've never heard that voice, I'm really happy because that's not what it's talking about. You know, because read after verse number 16 comes verse number 17. And it continues on. And it says, and if children, in other words, if this is true of us, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So think of what's going on. I'm going through difficulty. I'm going through struggles. I'm going through pitfalls. I'm falling or whatever it happens to be. And here the Holy Spirit comes and witnesses with my spirit how that I am joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He has done it all. I have this perfect standing in his sight forevermore based upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And based upon that finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I recognize that in my life, it, 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 it's amazing. I love him more and I want to follow him. I want to cherish him. It has a sanctifying effect that happens to be in our life. But well, why does that go on? Well, why that goes on is the Spirit is, is witnessing with our spirit that we truly are the children of God. I tried to say that in 20 minutes really fast, and it took me about a half hour. But anyways, when you look at that, here's a question, because I asked a question at the beginning. 
What do you know about the Spirit of God? Do you enough, know enough about the Spirit of God that can encourage your heart as you go through all of the struggles, all of the difficulties, all the pitfalls, all the trials that happen at the beginning of life? Well, here in this verse, we find the Holy Spirit is a person. He's personal to us. We find beyond a shadow of a doubt, he's the great paraclete who will come alongside, give us the necessary grace, whatever we are going through. And because he's spirit, no matter where we happen to be, you think of the corporal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, yeah, yeah, I want that, I want that. Jesus Christ is more present with us than the apostles ever have because he's dwelling in our hearts and in our lives. And here's my plea this afternoon. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. The reason why we will persevere, we will make it to the end, we will be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God for the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your grace in our life. And we thank you so much for the triune work of the Godhead. We thank you, Lord, for your planning. We thank you for the execution of Jesus Christ, Lord, and how he came and lived that perfect life and died that substitutionary death. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the application of all of this work of Father and Son to our lives. We thank you, Lord, that he dwells in our hearts. And even the prayers that we're offering up right now are acceptable in your sight because they come, Lord, through him. And we thank you. We thank you so much. Just be with us now, Lord, as we go to our time of singing. We praise you. Let us be encouraged by these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.